William here, and I'm speaking with Maximilian Seho from Money on the Left podcast. Maximilian, how are you doing? Hi, good. Nice to be here. Um, what is it that Money on the Left do? Who are you, and what are you? Uh, what are you trying to get out there? Yeah. So um, my name is, as you know, Maximilian Seho, and um, I study the intersection of political economy and uh, philosophy and aesthetics at the University of California at Santa Barbara. And um, I am, as William mentioned, one of the co-hosts of the Money on the Left podcast. And I think the central gambit of the Money on the Left podcast is to take alternative understandings of money, heterodox understandings of money, um, most explicitly modern monetary theory, and try and sort of forge new ground with left analysis that seeks to integrate notions of public money into discourses around political economy, politics, and uh, a broader left movement for justice. Yeah, and I guess, so that's where the Labour Party sort of fits into it for us, because the Labour Party has its own doctrine of uh, fiscalism, known as the fiscal uh, credibility rule. So I guess my first question is, does the economy work like a credit card, as per that fiscal rule? (laughs) Well, uh, I think, obviously, no. Um, You know, I think it's important to make the distinction as well here. There'll be some people and some people in labor who you might have heard, such as Anne Penafor or others who advise labor, who have said explicitly that the government doesn't work like a household yet. We still need to act as if it does. And I think we can maybe get into the more details about that. But I think we should fundamentally state that, no, the government issues its own currency Uh, It legally backs it at every level, and it is the first cause for all economic exchange and interaction. And as such, um, essentially, it exists in the state of its exception. It it doesn't behave like a household. It doesn't have a credit card. And there are more complicated ways to talk about what borrowing is and these sorts of things. But fundamentally, a shift in paradigm, so we say at Money on the Left, means reckoning with this at all levels of... Uh, leftist analysis. Yeah, because it can be very tempting to look at the economy in that fashion, given it is the sort of prevailing viewpoint uh, in pretty much every scope of our discussion. But you very quickly run into sort of traps where Labour would, for instance, make a late pledge and would immediately be hit by like, how is this costed? How are you going to pay for it? When in reality, these programs are very easily economically manageable. Yeah, and I think this that sort of thing really speaks to the deep-seated mistrust that you know, all neoliberal subjects in in this post-80s, post-Thatcher era, you know, sort of have for public provisioning and public spending because they fundamentally believe in this taxpayer paradigm. And, you know, for better or for worse, the the Corbyn moment really spoke to this taxpayer paradigm in ways that, that totally affirmed its terms and didn't seek to go beyond them. And, yeah, I mean, it's it was one of the fundamental aspects that I think really made the election play into the established mode and the established discourse for a reactionary anti-government paradigm that we live in and have lived in since the 1980s. Yeah, because one of the first things that Johnson did uh, immediately after the election was immediately, you know, spend, spend, spend in the North, which was very well received by you know, the friendly press, as it would be. But then how does the left actually articulate this? How does the left adequately answer, and how does Labour adequately answer the question of, how are we going to pay for this? 
Yeah, I think this is a crucial part of it. And to first touch on the first part of your comment with, you know, reactionaries and the right wing has always known that they can just waive these rules and they've used them to bludgeon the left and to pigeonhole the left into having to defend itself on zero sum terms. And as we've seen with Johnson and, you know, as we've, we've seen, you know, in the United States as well with Trump and others, there's, they always find the money for it because they know that this is just a partisan game that they bludgeon the left with. And so to answer the question, I think there's two ways to do that. There's a descriptive one, and then there's the avowedly political one. And the descriptive one is simply that um, the UK, as a sovereign uh, currency-issuing nation, um, just appropriates the funds. It's fundamentally an act of political will, of appropriation. And we can deal with the ramifications, the macro ramifications, what it does to inflation, what it does to trade balancing, is these sorts of things on the on the back end, and that's important. But descriptively, how we pay for it is we decide to pay for it, um, which is a real paradigm shift from the from the neoliberal moment, and is crucial, I think, for a left going forward. And then the second part of that is that there's this political question, which is. Paying for it is fundamentally about deciding as a nation what our priorities are. And the right is going to decide on behalf of the billionaires. It's going to decide on behalf of the landlords. It's going to decide on behalf of the imperial, imperial Western agenda. And as a part of the left, how we pay for it is we side fiscally on behalf of the people and I don't mean the people in a narrow, reductive uh, sort of nationhood sense. I mean the people as a sort of universal humanism. And and we side on on behalf of, of economic justice. And that is really what the pay-for question is about. It's not about taxes. It's about where we're going to direct our political virtue and our political will. Yeah, completely agreed. And there's a lot of people out there that will be um, sort of besmirching any attempt to widen the debate in this aspect on fiscalism precisely because they think you know there's not enough room for it or people are going to switch off or that you know it's just a waste of time but i think that actually sort of infantilizes the electorate in a pretty considerable way and it's proved in two separate ways you know a modern monetary theory is very well adopted by grassroots elements Mm -hmm. it's not like it has to have a huge uh, it's not got massive backing behind it as far as i'm aware anyway um, it's an ordinary people learning about the economy and B, you know, we've just gone through years and years of Brexit. I'm going to go through more years and years of it. And that's fundamentally, you know, trade negotiations, macro, all these very dry subjects. But when it's backed by a political project that they can mm-hmm. support, they can sort of green card the entire way through. And I guess it's to quote, you know, the neoclassical Marxist account about the <laughs> superstructural approach rather than the base approach. Right. And I think this is actually a crucial point. Um, the point you brought up at the beginning, which is a point that's been parroted by James Midway, among others, which is that, like, look, we know that the macro paradigm has shifted. Um, essentially, the neoliberal paradigm is falling apart. But we don't believe in the power and the knowledge of the people to understand the way the new debate is happening at the highest level of of finance and economics. So we are going to try and so get one over on them and sort of 
trick them into supporting our policies on the terms of the old paradigm, which is simply the case you're just affirming the, the terms of the neoliberal paradigm that set up the the moment that we're in and, and the austerity and the calamity that we've we've dealt with both in the UK and the United States for the last 30 years. And so I think that's fundamentally misguided because as we know and as we've seen, the MMT movement has actually, it, it's taken a grassroots first approach. Economists weren't convinced by MMT. Like the, There's hundreds of thousands of people all around the world who just normal people who know that something's wrong and know based on the fact that wars are always paid for, but we can't fund doctors for the NHS, that there's something conceptually wrong here. And so I think it's fundamentally backwards, actually, this the the argument that we have to convince the people and then enact it on, on MMT terms in, in a disjunct, in a contradiction. Because what we've seen is that people are open to new ideas. I think the Brexit sort of debacle over the last four years is is this people being fed up with old paradigms. And, you know, it it's taken a reactionary bent and it has been uh, misconstrued for anti-immigrant uh, bias. And, and that has sort of taken over the process and the likes of Dominic Cummings have sort of forged the narrative but I do think what it speaks to is the breakdown of the paradigm and the breakdown of the established norms. And I think, sadly, labor really missed an opportunity to run at that breakdown and really speak to it rather than parrot the terms of the paradigm that was, had already fallen apart. Yeah, and it's interesting you say that because, you know, in the first leadership election that Corbyn won, um, he had stood on a platform of the people's quantitative easing. And that's not mm-hmm. exactly the sexiest name for this policy that's out there. <laughs> not that there are many in general. Um, but it shows that it's definitely something that's available within Labour to be talked about. Um, and that's especially important when the other sort of proponents of uh, a heterodox uh, monetary policy are, you know, Chris Williamson, Thomas Vasey, these people who are very mm-hmm. sort of against liberation politics, people who are reactionaries, but who operate on a sort of already radical space because they are going against the uh, identity politics element of the left, which we have to protect. And we sort of left them all the space to occupy there, which I think is definitely something very dangerous for Labour and for the left. Now, we are in the middle of a leadership election what is the sort of golden question you can ask to a candidate that's going to shine a light on mm-hmm. how they're going to approach money in a new way and how they're mm-hmm. going to properly address the politics of money? I think it's it's interesting to see the way this leadership battle is sort of shaping up and the way it's sort of breaking down into those who, as you sort of mentioned, are more blue labor uh, friendly versus those who are more, you know, on the liberal side, and then the sort of splitting of the difference with sort of the Corbyn wing. And it's still, it it really saddens me to see that the structure of the debate, it's changed, and it's become, like you said, it's radicalized in ways that can often be scary and speak to a sort of contraction of the political and who counts as political. And 
And I think there are ways to affirm different sort of the shape of the arguments on all sides, the way the sort of London-based social justice people are wanting to make sure that we affirm these anti-fascist notions and anti-nationalist notions versus the way some people are saying, look, we've, we've left the North behind and we've left the Red Wall behind. But I think all of these sort of false contradictions on my reading are structured out of the problem of the debate that occurred coming out of the 2017 general election into the 2019 general election. Whereas you said, the the Corbyn, I mean, people's QE, like you said, not very sexy. You know, we can talk about if it if it's an adequate descriptive notion of what uh, a sort of public money paradigm would be. We can set those things aside. Certainly, it's better than a fiscal credibility rule. And I think we can all agree on that. Um, but it's still... So coming into the 2019 election, having this sort of zero-sum fiscal policy as the basis of Labour's leftist sort of agenda, I think we're still seeing that, but in other other guises. So yes, okay, that didn't work, but we're not going to reckon with the fact that it didn't work on the terms of shifting the paradigm away from this zero-sum fiscal tax-to-spend narrative. Instead, we're going to splinter off and try and find ways to be zero-sum that aren't fiscal, as in, okay, we're going to pit the so-called right northern white working class against the so-called woke Londoners, um, or we're going to pit, you know, the the... We're going to try and change our party, leave the Brexiters behind, mold into a cosmopolitan party. These are still under the the terms of this zero-sum fiscal paradigm. So for me, the real question going into the leadership contest is, who is going to speak to an inclusive non-zero-sum vision of the left that is both that it both speaks to locality and internationality at once and tries to, to really open up the vision of our party for a internationalist, but not in a narrow sense, vision of a left, a leftist and just political economic future. And sadly, I don't really see that from any of the candidates. And it, it seems a bit, it's sort of kind of been a mess so far. Yeah, well, it's early days yet. We're still shockingly not even halfway through this leadership election. Um, But yeah, I guess we're just going to have to wait and see what every candidate comes out with in terms of their discussion of Mm -hmm. monetary policy and how that changes the wider debate. But otherwise, until then, I'm sure that it will be up for a lot of discussion on the Money on the Left podcast, which everybody can listen to uh, on the usual vendors. Yeah, we're definitely planning on doing something. Perfect. Well, until then, it's been lovely to chat with you. Thank you very much. Yeah, great chatting with you. Thanks for having me. And thus concludes yet another episode of the Social Review Podcast. Thank you so much for listening. Thank you to Max for coming on and chatting to William and for William to chatting to Max. Um, It was a really fascinating conversation and you're going to hear more stuff like that on the Money on the Left podcast, as William and Max said. Uh, Their last episode was on uh, liberation theology and the politics of money and how they intersect. And they do episodes every month, all these kind of long form discussions on topics like that with really interesting speakers. So do go and check it out. 
But on the Social Review podcast, we've got plenty more cool interviews lined up to come out over the next few weeks uh, as somehow the Labour leadership contest is still rumbling on. Thanks again for listening. Have a good rest of your week. Goodbye. (laughs) 